thank you for loving us so well that you would call us into your presence. As unworthy as we might feel this morning, we say thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be your sons and daughters this morning. For giving us opportunity to come into your presence. Call you Abba Father. And allow you to love on us in a way that we need this morning. We need your words this morning. We need to hear from your heart. Your mind. Your word. We cannot move from this place confidently and assured without hearing from you. You have the words of life. And only you. So in these few moments that we have together, I ask that you, that's indeed what will happen. You will speak and we will hear. And not only will we hear, we will obey what you ask us to do. Which is, first of all, worship you in everything that we do. So I pray that this will also be a moment of worship for us. As we let go of everything that hinders us so that we can grab onto you and never let go. So we're asking that because we're your sons and daughters and we need you. Desperately need you. I desperately need you this morning. So Father, I ask this in, in our big brother's name, Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Believe it or not, this is going to be the last of our series on Romans in Romans. So if you would head to Romans 12, I'll, we'll, we'll get there and open up there. The name of my sermon today is, is uh, Altar Life. I don't usually tell you the name of my sermon, but today is important to tell you that. Altar Life. Last week I, I, shared, a, I shared a quote from John Piper with you, and I want to repeat it this morning because... I can't get this quote out of my head, and here it is. The most seductive idol in our life is the one that we see in our own reflection. The most seductive idol that we, we have in our lives is the one that we see in our own reflection. So the things that I put in my life, or the things that I think about, or the, or the situations that I'm facing that I think are more powerful than God, I'm actually bowing down to. They become idols. Because I'm giving them authority over me. I am allowing them to dictate how I feel, how I think about God. So they become idols. They become something that I actually, in a, in a, in a very kind of weird way, worship. And believe me, I've been struggling with this for a couple weeks now. God just wrecking my heart in a good way about the, the idols that I still have in my life. And normally we think about these kind of things. Uh, those of us who are, are mature Christians who have been war- walking with Christ for a while, okay, we might, we might be able to accept this idea. Okay, yeah, I have, a, I have an idol of uh, you know, fear or I have an idol of despair or something. We, we, can, we say, okay, I get that. But you know what? I have an idol of, I have an idol of comfort. I enjoy comfort far too much. I'm probably the only one here today. 
I have an idol, this is self-compassion time, of self-pity. I feel sorry for myself way too often. I have an idol of arrogance. I think too highly of myself sometimes. And I have still a remnant of an idol that I've been fighting all my life. And it's the idol of shame. These are things that, that somewhere in my spirit and in my relationship with God, I, I have said to God in some way, some form, that these things are just too big for you to handle. And I've held on to them for far too long. So I believe that this morning that God wants to challenge any idol, and maybe you don't have any this morning, and that will be great. That would be wonderful that you don't. Really, truly, I'd be, I'd be thrilled to hear that none of you had any idols. I really would. I'd be feel lonely, but I mean, I would feel good about it. Okay? I would feel lonely, but it would be good to hear that none of us have idols this morning. It really would. But I'm going to imagine that you do, and I'm going to, and I'm going to give us, but I think God has given us a, a great solution to get rid of idols uh, in our lives this morning. I, I really believe that because this is helping me. So I'm going to um, hope that it helps you. So if someone is in Romans 12, you would read for me the first three verses of Romans 12. truth in those first three verses. Now, Romans 12 is, is great. Romans 12 is a wonderful uh, group of scriptures that tell us how to have community life with God. And also how to take that community life with God outside these four walls and live with people. It's just a wonderful, uh, short, concise to-the-point chapter about how to live like a Christian. It's, it's just beautiful. And, but those first three scriptures are the, are the hinge point to, to, the, to the rest of the chapter. So I want to take this apart, uh, if you would be patient with me, and take it apart word by word here, because I, I think it's essential for us to kind of dig a little deeper here. So when Paul says, I appeal to you, that word means to urge, to invite and it's almost a picture like this. It's almost a picture of, of begging. Will you please listen to what I have to say? And it's like Paul is passionately inviting his brothers and sisters 
to listen to what he's about to tell you. So there's a, there's a lot of passion here. There's a lot of urging. There's, a, there's an invitation given. But he is almost begging them to listen to this. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm urging you, I'm begging you to present. And that word means to um, offer. It, it means to surrender. But it actually means to place yourself. And what are they placing themselves on? Their altar. Their altar. Right, so I'm begging you, uh, I'm pleading with you to offer, to, to surrender yourself, to place yourself um, on the altar. And all this done is because of the mercies of God. To present yourself, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Now, we have talked about the word holy before, that it actually means three different things. It means to be physically pure. It means to be morally blameless. And it means to be ceremonially set apart. That's what a sacrifice was. It was without blemish. It was perfect. It was acceptable to God. God was, it was pleasing to God for this sacrifice to be made this way. Um, my, uh, the King James Version says, uh, what is... Uh, um, Acceptable service, right? Well, my, my ESV says uh, spiritual worship because that's exactly what those two words really mean. It means, it, means, it means spiritual worship. But it has to do with a mindset uh, that is rational. Okay, so what is reasonable service? What is, um, you know that scripture in Isaiah says, well, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. That, this is what God is talking about here. Being reasonable here. This is not just mine, uh, but it's everything about who we are as a spirit, soul, and mind. This is, a, but a, the uh, service means acts of worship. So reasonable worship, reasonable service. This is this is a, an act of worship from the sacrifice point of view. Yes, Lord, I'm trying to get there. I'm really up. All right. See, the first century Jews understood the role of sacrifice in their life. If we could go back in time and, and watch one of these sacrifices, we would see a bloody mess. A hot mess. Something that might be disturbing to see. It was bloody. It was gory. It probably wasn't pleasant to look at when it was happening. So the, the, so the first century Jews, they understood this concept. They understood that it, the, of taking of, uh, the symbolic taking of their sins and transferring it to a, to a, unblemished, uh, to a, a, a pure, morally pure, ceremonially set apart animal for the forgiveness of their sins. They, this was something that they understood. They knew what Paul was taking about, talking about. But then Paul takes it up a notch and says, I'm not talking about putting an animal on that altar. I'm talking about you placing yourself on that altar. And all of a sudden, I'm imagining the eyebrows go up. And they're going, what is he talking about here? We're used to having animals on this altar. It's a bloody mess. There's a, there's a the big deal here. What's... What's he talking about putting ourselves 
on this altar to willingly, passionately, without hesitation, placing ourselves on this altar. See, but he already answers it by the mercies of God, that God had already provided that sacrifice in the form of Jesus Christ for us. So now we're, he was talking about a different level of sacrifice, one that, that wouldn't uh, necessarily be our, offering our physical lives as unto death, although during that time period it really was for a lot of these people. He meant a whole new way of approaching how to follow God. That these kind of, these kind of sacrifices were no longer sec, uh, necessary because Jesus performed it, but now we were needing to step up into that understanding that everything about our life, everything about who we are, was now in service. This was our reasonable service. This was our reasonable worship to offer everything we are as living sacrifices. Is this making sense or am I confusing you? Paul is saying this, my brothers and sisters, because of God's mercy towards us, I am urging you, I'm passionately inviting you to offer yourself, to give yourself, to place yourself on the altar of God. Be dedicated, be sold out, be blameless, pure, and set apart. People with a renewed mind understand that this is the way that we worship God. Now, I think this is where it gets a little bit uncomfortable because the last time I checked, idols don't like altars. Idols are not big fans of sacrifices that are not made to them. And this is where it gets a little challenging, but I also think it gets to be a little bit more freedom here so when we, we hear the words living sacrifice what word do you focus on what did you say living when I had one sacrifice alright I'm going to give a quick poll here this is, not a trick, this is not a trick question okay how many people think of the word sacrifice and how many people think of the word living first okay it's pretty much split down the middle. Not the result I thought of my beginning. <laughs> but my point will still remain. When we do think of the word of sacrifice, what do we think about? Something dead. Something dead. Lost. Pain. Love. Pain. Heartbroken. Giving things up. Okay, since we went there. What do we think about when we hear the word living? Growth. A great life. Breathing, doing, born again. Vibrant. Put those two words together for me, then. (laughs) Yeah? 
vibrant pain. I think to the human heart, the idea of sacrifice is completely foreign to it. Sacrifice does not come easy to a human being. Look at all the things we said about the word sacrifice. There wasn't really much joy in most of those things that we said. Uh, That's why everybody wants to pick the living, yes. Yeah. Because it's not easy for a human heart, but... And it doesn't sound like life, does it? When you say sacrifice. And yet, Paul is urging us to be living sacrifices. So I think there's a, there's a new way of thinking about the word sacrifice that maybe God wants us to get to. But let's listen to some of the words of Jesus, what he said about this whole idea of living sacrifices. In Mark 8.35, he says this. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Getting a little bit more hopeful here? Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And to me... The greatest scripture on this part, on being a living sacrifice, this is, this is the one. John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. And who does Jesus call his friends? Us. Jesus understood what it meant to be a living sacrifice for sure. So when we strive to become a living sacrifice, we echo the words of Paul in Galatians 2.20. Someone go to Galatians 2.20 for me and read it. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. What does that have to do with being a living sacrifice? Say it loud and proud, brother. Okay, be holy. And who is that? Jesus. Jesus lives in us. And how does that help being a living sacrifice? How does how does this scripture and how how does Jesus living inside of us help us be a living sacrifice? There you go. And what happened What happened to him and his sacrifice? What happened? That's right. And what do we have? We're we're really not sound like people that have eternal life. I'm sorry. We have eternal life. We do. We do. We do. Being a living sacrifice means that we are living with a sacrificial attitude, with a sacrificial mindset. 
by faith, we have this, we have Jesus living inside of us, helping us do this. We're not doing this by our own strength, because we can't. The last time I tried to sacrifice something in my own strength, it didn't go well. Because I'm selfish. Self-serving. I care too much about my comfort, remember? I need Jesus. I need to, I need to die to myself. I, I, I need to live like Jesus wants to be lived. But thankfully, he promises to help us do it. To be living sacrifices. Because there are a lot of people out there trying to, to do this on their own strength. And, and it's just not working. There's no life in it. So we need a new mindset. We need, we need to... Um, Understand uh, the way that God wants us to understand because you know what? <laughs> altar life, living from an altar, will mess with your schedule. Will mess with your agenda. Will mess with your pride. And really messes with your comfort. Messes with the way you think about God. The way you think about each other. And I'm glad that it does. I'm glad that it challenges me on every level of my life. Because I don't ever want to be satisfied with who I am. I'm a nice guy. But I don't want to be satisfied with who I am. I want to be made and conformed into the image of Christ. For so many reasons. So a living sacrifice is actually probably the default setting of a, of a son and daughter of the Most High God. But my mind needs changing. How I think about sacrifice. What I think about sacrifice. And what's more important what God's view of sacrifice is. So are you prepared to think differently this morning? Let's go to verse 2 again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word conform here means to fashion yourself after something or to pattern yourself after something. So Paul is saying, this world... This age, that word actually means age, this time period, this uh, system. Uh, don't pattern your life after that. Don't, don't fashion your life after that. But be transformed. Be changed into another form by the renewing of your mind. The renovation of your mind. How many people here need your, your mind renovated today? I, because I do. I need, a, I need a total home makeover thing. You know, I wish they did that on the mind. But thankfully the word does. The mind here it means, it means your, your will, your understanding, your intellect, your thought. So we, the renovation of your, your will, your, the way you think, the how, how you think... By testing so that you might discern what the will of God is. The word will here means purpose. To understand the purpose of God here. And so that you can know what is good, 
what is acceptable and what is perfect. There is a intentionality, there is a a purpose of placing myself on this altar. Altar. It is the most concentrated effort to place yourself willingly, totally. It's a real sense of abandonment to what God, God's purpose is for us. It is, if you can think of the, the, the biggest sacrifice you've ever made in your life, whatever situation it was, and then multiply that by a million. This is like, once you place yourself on the altar, you notice it, Paul says, uh, doesn't say anything about removing yourself from the altar. This means this is, this is a done deal. This is all in. This is complete. There is no more going back on it. This is, I'm on the altar. And I'm going to allow the, the holy fire of God to consume every idol in my life. Everything that, that needs to be burned away so that my life is totally his. Are you getting this picture yet? That this is, this is like total. This is, there's, there's no holding back here. This is complete. Verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Think with sober a judgment. That means self-control. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, against which there is no law. This, Paul is saying here that we can actually think. Imagine this. We can actually think with self-control. That, you know, that whole thought about take every thought captive. This is how we do it. Because our minds are being transformed. It's being renovated so that we can think like God wants us to think. Because we have this wonderful word which filters all the impurities out of our life. When we think like with self-control, we actually can think with self-control. Okay. How many people here would love to have more control of their thoughts? This just said you can. I didn't say you could. This said that you can think with self-control. Sober judgment. Who are you going to believe this morning? Are you having trouble with your thought life this morning? In any capacity. I'm not even talking about, you know, bad thoughts. I mean, just having thought issues of any level. God's word promises that you can have self-controlled thoughts. This is not the only place it says this, but this is right now. This is what, you know, (laughs) by the grace given to me, I say to everyone money not to think too highly of yourself. But to think with self-controlled thoughts. Which means we can have a realistic look about ourselves. We don't have to have a mind that is controlled 
by anything, but we don't have to have a, a mind that's controlled by pride or a mind that's controlled by shame. We can have self-controlled thought patterns. It takes work. <laughs> but it's possible by the Holy Spirit, it says, to have this. So this means we think with a renewed mind, one that's been transformed. He gives grace, he gives mercy, he gives faith, gifts for us to serve with, roles in the body to serve through. All with the understanding that he makes it possible for us. We are benefactors of that kind of generosity this morning. I'm just blown away by this. So we have no reason to boast or to think so highly of ourselves or to feel shame by thinking too lowly of ourselves. Transform minds, think with the mind of Christ. Philippians, someone go to Philippians 2 for me. And read verses 5 through 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... thinking with right thinking in this in this in these passages. Anybody see it? What's the big key? Humility fuels right thinking. In order to have a mind of Christ, we have to be like Jesus. Jesus did everything with humility. It's, humility is this powerful thing. And it fuels right thinking. It helps us to have healthy thinking. (laughs) To think right about ourselves. To think right about God. To think right about our world. We need to have the mind of Christ. And we need to approach life with humility. Like Jesus did. Being willing to to offer ourselves. to, To give ourselves. To serve with a humble heart. A humble spirit. With a humble mind. Everything about us is fueled by humility. The mind of Christ is full of humility. All right, so we're going to go verses 9 to 21 real quick here. Back to, still in Romans 12. I know we jumped around a little bit. I'm going to go through this really quick. But I want you to go... This week, and I want you to really read over Romans 12 and just kind of let it breathe into your spirit. But here's some fruit that grows from being a, a, a living sacrifice you can love people without pretense. And in other words, you're going to love louder than words. Love louder than words. You're going to hate evil. Not hate people. Hate evil. 
Hate what evil does to this world. Hate it with a passion. But while you're hating evil, you're going to cling to good. That word cling actually means to take layers upon layers and glue them together. In other words, this is a corporate thing. This is what we do. He's talking about body life here. This is what we do. We cling together to good. Some of you are more sticky than others. I'm not going to say why that is true, though. But <laughs> We're going to love with brotherly affection. We're going to honor one another. That word actually means to lead the way in outdoing each other and honoring each other. (laughs) Greek words just kind of expand. Lead the way in honoring each other. We're going to passionately serve the Lord. The word means to boil hot. We're going to rejoice in hope. We're going to be patient in trials. The, 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 the thinking here is that we're not going to flee when things get tough. Be generous with one another. Bless those who persecute you. This is when a living sacrifice really hits the road on that one. You can't, you can't bless someone that's persecuting you if you're not a living sacrifice. It's just not possible. Be joyful with those who are joyful. Help bear the sorrows of those who grieve. Be unified as a body. Don't elevate your opinions or allow your knowledge to make you arrogant. I can say amen to that. Don't retaliate. Live at peace with all men. That word there means to cultivate harmony. It's active, passionate. It's like trying to grow a harvest that's, that, that will go beyond us. And over, this is one of my, my ends would overcome evil with good. The word overcome there means to subdue it violently. To take control. To allow it to be rampant. This is a very aggressive overcoming here. It's almost suggesting that you don't wait. For, for evil to make its appearance. That, that you're actively kind of pursuing this thing. Ready to subdue it. Ready to overcome it. And this is what body life as brothers and sisters, that living sacrifices together, this is the fruit of our life together. Second Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself, same word, to God as one improved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Okay. One last question. Did this make sense? I hope it recorded. That's why I want you to go back and, and read it. And ask the Holy Spirit again to, to talk to you and, and breathe these scriptures into you and see what God is saying to you about it. 
Because living sacrifices is, is individual, but it's, and it's corporate in a sense. We need each other to encourage each other to be living sacrifices, to remind each other to be living sacrifices, but also to just to come alongside of us, each other, so we can be living sacrifices. And understanding that I do believe that the focal point should be on the living part. And then while we're focusing on the living part, the ability to be sacrificial comes easier.